Well, over the next um, couple weeks, we're going to be continuing to work through John 17 and the very deep and majestic themes that it contains. And of course, it can be uh, difficult to cut something like this into pieces because it is one prayer that has intricately woven themes throughout it. So I'll just ask you to bear with me as we don't really try to divide the prayer up so much, but we're just going to focus on some specifics of the prayer while keeping the, the greater context. Uh, and hopefully at the end, as we get through John 17, uh, we'll be able to look back and see this glorious unified prayer with these wonderful interlocking truths. Uh, today we're going to look at this amazing work of the power of God in our lives as we see how Jesus paints the picture of how salvation, in fact, comes about in our lives. We looked a little bit at this, these uh, five verses, verses 6 through 10. We looked at them a little bit last week. We had made it personal to us as we uh, applied it to our, our grieving of Brittany, uh, that we can trust God with our lives and trust Him even in the face of suffering and trials and even death because we know that we are His. And today we're going to look again at those same verses and a little bit further as well, going deeper than we did uh, last week. Uh, so um, I want to, once again, uh, we did this a couple weeks ago, uh, because as I mentioned, um, this section is the high priestly prayer, and there's a certain weight about this section. I want to have us stand together uh, as I read this scripture uh, and then we'll remain standing as I pray through this and ask the Lord to have this high priestly prayer uh, rest in our hearts. So you can stand with me. We'll be in John 17. I'm going to start back at verse 1 so we can get context. And I'm going to be reading uh, all the way through verse 12 this morning. And again, I want you to picture Jesus standing in the temple at night waiting uh, for just a few moments, probably within the hour or two, he'll be arrested. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, 
that they may be one even as we are one. And while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Fathers, we read the words of your son as he spoke them to you. We're grateful that you've allowed this high priestly prayer to be recorded by your servant John. For us, your church, to be read for thousands of years. To be encouraged by the words that he prayed to you shortly before his death. We're grateful that we can hide ourselves in these words, in these statements, in these declarations, these truths that are ironclad, indestructible, imperishable. These words will never fade, and they will never fail, because these are the words of the eternal living God, who died but was risen and is now seated at the right hand of you, Father. We thank you that this is truth and this is sure. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, drive it into our hearts this morning. Have it transform us and open our eyes wider, our ears wider. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this, of course, isn't the first time Jesus speaks of us being under the Father's sovereign care uh, or the unified partnership and oneness between the Father and the Son. Uh, we're going to go back a little bit and look what Jesus said in John chapter 6 about the nature of our salvation. And we're going to get there uh, even more description because it's not just simply, as we read in John 17, it's not just simply that we're the fathers and then he gives us to the son. Uh, we can kind of, if we take that a little out of context, we can construe that on its own to be, kind of have a little bit of just a mere sentimental feel. Oh, oh, how sweet. Oh, look at what God the father had us, we're all his children and, and all this stuff. And he's just giving us as a gift to the son and looking, just kind of taking this out of context, we can say it's just sort of the father giving the son this nice little gift. Uh, and that's kind of it. But it's actually, it's more than that. Uh, so if we look back at John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So already we're seeing John 17, Father, you gave them to me. We're like, okay, that, that's, that's nice. That makes me feel good. That's cute. But no, this isn't just cute. No, if, if that didn't happen... We couldn't go to Jesus on our own. The only way we go to Jesus is if the Father draws us. No one can go to Jesus unless the Father draws him. And then Jesus says, and if he draws them to me, I will raise him up on the last day. A little bit later in John chapter 6, verse 63, he says, it's the Spirit who gives life, the flesh, your own self, your body, your mind, your desires, all those things, that's of no help at all. No help at all. No one can go to him unless the Father draws. 
your flesh is of no help. It's only the Spirit who gives life. And he says the words, and we got to hang on to this, this theme here of the word. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's his words that are spirit and life. So we're getting a greater picture already. This isn't just a heartwarming little thought that the Father gives us to the Son, but it is devastatingly necessary. And it's rightly and justly hopeless otherwise if this does not happen. See, Jesus' words tell us that left to ourselves, on our own, we would not and could not go to God. If left to your own devices, your own passions and desires, we would go our own way. We would do our own thing. We would live life how we kind of think is right. If left up to our own flesh and blood, which is of no use, because it's only the Spirit that gives life, if left up to our own flesh and blood, our own minds, our hearts, our personalities, our desires, our preferences, how you're naturally wired, we will not walk towards God. Maybe we'd be a little curious. It's an interesting topic. Maybe we'd ponder life and the universe and destiny and those types of things. Maybe we would research all these different religions. Maybe we'd explore a bit. Yes, we would do those things. But ultimately, we will walk our own way. God's word says in Psalms, as well as then same verse repeated in Romans, no one seeks after God, truly. We explore, we get curious, yes, we study, but no one truly seeks after God. Jesus tells us no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. So let's go back even further in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. We're going to do a little reverse engineering here. Because John says, to all who did receive him. Okay, so we're going to start at the end. Okay, here's the people that did. How did they get there? How did they get there? To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, how did they get there? That's what we want to know. Well, John tells us in the very next clause here. He says, he, God, gave the right to them to become children of God. That's how they got there. There's no other way for them to get to point B from point A unless at point A God gives them the right to become children. And that means that we didn't have the right. That right was given to us. And it was he that gave us the right to become children of God. They didn't earn the reward of a job well done, but he gave them the right This was all God working through Jesus. And John continues, going back in chapter 1, verse 12, now into 13. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. These these children, at point B, the end result, these people were born not of blood. This isn't a natural thing, nor of the will of the flesh. This isn't by our own will. Nor of the will of man but of God. People at point B, children of God, redeemed, made alive spiritually, did not get there by their own will, their own flesh, 
nor the will of man, but only by the will of God. He gave them the right to become children of God. If left up to your will, your flesh, the will of man, you would never, ever truly know God. You could never, ever become born again. Just like a newborn baby. Newborn baby wasn't born by his or her own power, his or her own will, his or her own flesh. That's not how that happens. It's by the will of the parents. Ultimately the will of God, but it's talking flesh and flesh here. It's the will of the parents who decide to bring a child into the world. It's not up to the baby. It's up to the parents who make that decision. And in the same way, a newborn Christian wasn't born by his or her own will or flesh, but only by his or her, her father in heaven. If up, lift up to a, a baby's ability and willpower, that baby could never be born if it was up to them. And so it is for those who are born of the Spirit. If left up to spiritually dead people, we would never be born. The flesh is of no help at all. We're not born of our own accord, our own awesome humility to, to worship God and humble ourselves before him and admit our sin and, and see the depth of our sinfulness and the, and the height of his beauty and glory. It's not up to that. No, no one seeks God. No, not one. No one does good. And if this is hard to believe, and I understand that oftentimes these things are hard to wrestle with. I remember 10 or 11 years ago when uh, I would kind of fight a lot of this stuff. I'm like, eh, this doesn't make sense. But I'd like to present to you Exhibit A, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are perfect case studies for us. They're in a controlled environment, no sin, no death, and God is in their midst, walking through the garden in the cool of the day. You would think that if anyone would seek after God and choose God and not wander, it would be those two. They would, they would be able to do it. They would be able to prove to us that, yeah, no, left to ourselves, we would go after God. Look at Adam and Eve. They did it, but they didn't do it. They ultimately didn't seek after God, but they went their own way, and they really, I mean, had no excuse even their perfectly created, very good flesh and blood. Right? When God created everything, he said it is very good. That included them. It is very good. Even their very good flesh and blood was of no help at all. Let's look at a few verses before the verses we saw in John chapter 6. We're going to go to verse 37 through 40. We're going to see some good news here. Jesus says in verse 37, chapter 6, all that the Father gives me, okay, we're seeing the same theme in John 17, Father, you've given them to me, so he's given us a precursor, a little preview back in John chapter 6, he says, all the Father gives to me, they will come to me. That's the good news. So if the Father gives you to Jesus, you will go to Jesus. You will be his. All the Father gives me, they will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. If you have come to Christ, 
he won't cast you out. If you've come to Christ, you can know it's because the Father drew you to him. And the good news is that Jesus won't cast you out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this, this is the will of him who sent me. This is God's, the Father's will. Jesus says that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. I'm not going to lose a single one of them. But I'm going to raise them up on the last day. This is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This has a very familiar tone to it, as we're seeing back in John 17, verse 6. I've manifested your name, he says to the Father, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me. There's that theme of the words. I've given them the words that you gave me. And they've received those words and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. And I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those whom you have given to me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, Judas, the scripture might be fulfilled. And just a quick little side note, don't sit there and think that Judas was saved and lost his salvation. Even going back into John chapter 6 and before, Judas was called a devil. Right? He, he was never born again. He was always, Jesus always knew. He's just speaking specifically of the disciples that that one was lost, but that was to fulfill scripture. But we have great news that though we will only wander and go our own way if left to ourselves, God the Father has mercifully chosen some of these wanderers from out of the world, out of their sin, out of darkness, out of their spiritual rebellion, their ignorance, their blindness. He's plucked them out of that place and given them to his son to go and to save. And he draws us only because of his mercy towards us. And by the grace that he gives us as he reveals himself to us. Church, he could have left every single human being on their own. He could have done that. He could have left Adam and Eve on their own. Oh, you chose to go your own way? Okay. That's, that's fair. You've done that yourself. I have no obligation to intervene. He could have left every single human being on their own, left our own devices and wanderings. He could have done that. And it would have been totally fair and totally just to let us go astray by our own choice. I'd like to read a, a quote from Jonathan Edwards. I've, I've quoted the, the last sentence quite often, but I love the fuller context here. Edwards says, Your wickedness, this is, I think it's in your notes. Your wickedness and I want you to personalize that. My, my wickedness. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead. 
I love, I love this picture. The sin, think of sin as having weight, right? And your sin makes you heavy as lead. And because of that, you tend downward with great weight and pressure towards hell. Every bit of sin that's in you pushes you towards hell. And if God would let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution, your own care and your own prudence, your best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. So you get this picture. Left to your own, you are weighted like lead careening towards hell. And no amount of your own righteousness, your own goodness, your own humility, none of that can be enough helium to lift that lead out of the depths of hell. No more than a spider web can stop a rock. But what happened is God mercifully stepped in and interrupted that descends, that fall. He interrupted the lives of many. And we can't take credit for this because we were chosen to be rescued before any one of us even breathed one breath. We were previously destined in our own flesh to go astray from God. And had we been born without God interceding, this would be our future, a life without him descending swiftly to hell forever. It's, it's what's in us. We need something from outside of us, which is why Edward says, if, if only for, if was, God did not uphold you, you would just keep going down. We need something from outside of us to save us and stop us from that descent. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. And it was in love that he predestined, he predetermined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Again, not our will, not the will of man, not the will of flesh, but according to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So let's think, because Paul mentions here adoption. An orphan, just, just like a, 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 a baby born to biological parents that are brought in the world, a, an orphan doesn't by his or her own will become adopted. That's not how that works. It's the will of the prospective parents that make the choice in love to adopt an orphan. That orphan, up to that point, is at the mercy and in need of the grace of two parents who might choose to love them and call them theirs. There's no obligation on the parent's end, and the orphan's flesh and own desires they don't desire to be in this family and to be accepted and loved. That orphan's flesh is of no help at all. The child has to be given the right to be called their child. The child can't just you know, slap a last name, start signing their name that way, and all of a sudden that's it. No, the, the parents have to give them the right to be their child. 
Additionally, on top of that even, these two parents can't just, say, travel to a foreign land and just take a child. They can't bring them across borders. Rather, they have to graciously first, by their own choice, adopt them. And then whatever that process looks like, legal demands, financial payments, and if all those requirements are satisfied, then the child is given that family's last name and truly brought into that family as a true son or daughter of those two parents. And it's only then that they're able to take them across borders and into their own home. And likewise, we as sinners, as spiritual orphans, we can't just walk across the border from this kingdom of darkness that we have made for ourselves, that we've been descending into with our own leaded weight of sin. We can't just stop that fall and just walk from that descent into the kingdom of light. We, we can't just do that. We can't just walk into the presence of God because of our own righteousness. We think we deserve to be in the presence of God. That's just not how it works. God's presence and heaven itself is no place for God's enemies. It's no place for sinners, for sinners who go their own way. Something has to radically change for us to have that right. And it's nothing we can do or earn. And so as Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6 says, He chooses us in Christ, because Christ has the right. So he chooses us and places us in Christ to be adopted. This means that we don't go to him in our name. No, we're, we're hidden in Christ. We go to him in Jesus' name. That's how we approach the Father. And so he, like the adopting parents, chooses us and gives us his name. We receive as his newly adopted sons and daughters the right to be called children of God. And now, only when that happens, when the transaction happens, that payment is satisfied, now, church, we can cross the border from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, because we're hidden in him, hidden and covered and wrapped in our new name, which is child of the living God. In Galatians 1, verse 15 Paul also says, when he, God, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He knows that God was pleased to reveal himself to him. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice it does not say according to our pursuit of him. It doesn't say according to your love for God. According to your amount of good works, he has caused you to become born again. No, it says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. What's an inheritance for? It's for children. It's for children. We are born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, 
and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. You who, by God's power, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so how does this mercy-initiated, grace-powered new birth happen? How are we made alive and born again? Peter continues in verse 23. Now since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, right? Not, not of the flesh, but of imperishable, which is the spirit. You've been born again through the living and abiding, here it is, the word of God. Jesus said in John 17, Father, I've given them your word and they've received your word. Now what does the word do? Peter tells us it causes us to become born again when we take hold of the word of God, when we take hold of the gospel, when we believe in what Jesus' words tell us about ourselves and about him. He says all flesh Again, this, this theme of flesh and your own will and this perishable body, all flesh is like grass and all of its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Church, God has mercifully given us his Word. Jesus praised this in John 17. Father, I gave them your word, and they received it, and they believed it, and it's caused them to become born again. Jesus has done this for us. This word reveals himself and his love for us. This word reveals the plan of this great rescue mission. It reveals the reality of your own sin, your own lead-weighted sin that is careening you towards hell. This word is a, a mirror that shows you that sin and your shortcomings, but not for the purpose of beating you up and filling you with shame and guilt and regrets and condemnation. No, 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 this word shows you all of those things, that lead-weighted sin of yours, in order to wake you up so that you can see that you have indeed gone astray and you're going astray fast. And you will keep going astray and you are lost without hope. But this word does all of this. It reveals this bad news to you so that you're left hoping and longing for some kind of good news. There's got to be some good news out there. And then he reveals that good news. This good news is that though you would continually live according to your own purposes and will, though you have and you will look the other way, away from God, he mercifully chose some of those wayward, stubborn people, those prideful people, those arrogant people, and he gave them to Jesus to go save them. And as Jesus gave them their, his word, he opened their eyes, opened their ears, gave them a new heart, a new mind to understand spiritual things that they never knew before. Going back into John 17, verse 6, Father, I have manifested your name. I've made your name known to these people whom you gave me. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word now. I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. And Jesus did that very thing. He said, whoever you give me, Father, they're going to come to me, and I'll never cast them out. No one can snatch them 
out of my hand. And it is the word of God, the truth about who Jesus is. That's what causes you to become born again. We hear in that word about Jesus' love for us, his mercy towards us, and that word wakes you up, opens your eyes, makes you alive on the inside. We see differently and with new eyes. Yesterday was 24 years since I first received the word of God and had my eyes opened. Yesterday was different than years before because there's a lot of sorrow, a lot of sadness. Normally is my favorite day to celebrate. Um, I don't really celebrate my, my natural birthday, really. I don't care for it all that much. The day I was born into sin. <laughs> but yesterday is the day that I was born again. It's been 24 years. But before that day, 24 years ago, I'd heard bits of the gospel for all my years growing up. I heard the phrase as a child, Jesus died for your sin. I, I knew it. I knew it up here. But I couldn't understand it. My eyes were closed. I listened, but I couldn't hear. Uh, I would see a crucifix, a life-size crucifix on the walls where I would come in to go to Mass every Sunday. So I saw that crucifix at the front of the church, on the wall, but yet I couldn't see it. I was stuck in my own way, going my own direction. It's all I knew because that's just how I'm wired. All of us, like sheep, we go astray. I was with, had lead-weighted sin that was craning me towards hell. And I would have kept going that way. I wasn't in the market for a new God to worship. I was fine living my own way, worshiping myself, doing things my way, living out my truth. And whatever seemed right or best to me, how I kind of viewed the world, my ideals, my desires. And I've been thinking about this day that I was saved August 21st, 1987, and well, I think it probably rightly should be considered the best day of my life, um, I think there's another day that actually is the best day of my life. I think that day was yesterday. Because yesterday was the 8,766th day that the Lord has kept me as His. 8,766 days the Lord has been faithful to me. He's kept me. He's held me. No one has snatched me out of his hands. And I didn't do that. I have not had the strength to hold on to him for 8,766 days. Church, if I could lose my salvation, I would have lost it at the end of day one. But he has kept me. For 8,766 days. And if I follow that logic, as a matter of fact, I think that today is probably the best day of my life. Because now today the Lord has kept me 8,767 days. And every day that goes by and the Lord is faithful to me. I have to think, I have to marvel, is this the best day of my life? Why has God kept me all these years? Why has he not given up on me? 
Jesus says to the Father that those that the Father gave to Jesus have received the words that Jesus gave to them. They believe what Jesus said, and Paul highlights the, the same thing, telling us what happens when we receive and believe this word of God that makes us born again. Looking back into Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who walks, works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. And for me that day was 24 years ago yesterday, the first day that I heard for real the word of truth, the gospel of my salvation, the first day that I truly believed in him, on that day, I was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that spirit is the guarantee, the guarantee that for the next 24 years plus one day and beyond, I will receive an inheritance. It's the guarantee that I'm sealed. The guarantee of my inheritance until I acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Church, the Lord has kept me all of these days because he has sealed me with the promised Holy Spirit because the Father gave me to his Son to go and save me. And the Son then gave me the seal of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee that I will finish my days with him. You go back to First Peter, I know that I've been kept by my God. It says, Peter says, according to his great mercy, that he has caused me to become born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I've been born again to an inheritance because now I'm an adopted son of God. I've been adopted to an inheritance that's imperishable. It means it's not going to perish tomorrow or the next day. I'm going to see day 8,768. That inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and it's unfading. It's being kept in heaven for me. And it's by God's power, God's power, not my own power, not my own flesh, not my own will, not the will of man. That's of no use to me. It is by God's own power that I am being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's going to keep me until the day I acquire the imperishable inheritance that is waiting for me in heaven. Because I'm being guarded by God's power and not mine. And church, last Saturday, Brittany acquired possession of her inheritance. It had been kept for her in heaven all the days of her life. She's received it because she was chosen out of darkness and given the right to be called an adopted daughter of God. And that was to the praise of his glory. And that is God's faithfulness towards her, that he kept her every single day of her life. It's God's faithfulness towards me and towards everyone who the Father has mercifully given to the Son. This is all planned from before we were even born. So if you are his, it was only by his power by his prerogative, by his sovereignty, that you've come to know him and become born again. I'm going to close with just a little kind of word picture that I ran across years ago. I think it was um, Philip Ryken who had this picture. I can't remember. It's been a long time. But uh, he called this uh, the, the family secret of the church. 
Because as I mentioned, I, I remember deciding me, what I felt was like in my own flesh, to believe in Christ and put my trust in him. And I know that sometimes that's weird, like, well, I remember choosing Jesus. You know, so how does that work? You said he, he chose me, but I remember choosing him. So this is kind of called the Christian sort of family secret. Um, so picture this. Imagine walking towards a doorway with other believers. And above the doorway, it says, choose this day whom you will serve. And you're saying, oh, yes, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to follow after Jesus. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to do this. And you're walking towards that door with that sign above the door. And you go in because you chose to follow Jesus. And as you pass through the door and you turn around, you look up the other side and you see another sign that's up there above the door. And that sign says, chosen from before the foundation of the world. This dynamic of us choosing this day whom we serve to follow the Jesus who died for us, we, we, we do, we make that choice. But we also realize in hindsight, this is why it's kind of the Christian family secret, because it's hard to understand until you're on the other side of it. Now I'm down here 24 years. I remember the first few years I thought, oh, I, I chose Jesus. Oh, nice job, Joby. <laughs> Good thing you did and some of your friends didn't. But now 24 years down the road, I'm looking back going, oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> that was not me. If left to myself, I'd still be back there. Yeah, I, I, I chose that day to believe and receive the word of God, but now Years later, as I understand my own sin more, I understand God's love and mercy for, now I look back over my shoulder and go, oh, that was God the whole time. He let me think it was me. <laughs> it's like when you're helping your kids, you know, when they're like three or four years old to kind of do something, and like they think they did it, and they didn't really do it. You did it, but you let them think that. Later on, they look back, and go, oh, Dad did that. I didn't, I didn't fix the carburetor on the car. <laughs> I was only three. That's kind of how it is. We walk through... We, 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 we do, we make that choice to believe and receive, but then as we get through that door, we look back and we say, God, it was you all along, and if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have walked through that door. And we can know by Jesus' words, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you even today, whether it's been a week or 24 years that we've been following you, or 40 years we've been following you, we come to you today because you've drawn us to you, because you're working in us, because your spirit is inside of us, living and working. Sanctifying us, teaching us. Making your word alive to us. And that that very word that has caused us to be born again, that's not the last action that the word does. The word also sanctifies us. And we're going to be seeing that in the next couple weeks. It not only makes us alive unto salvation, but then it works out our salvation by sanctifying us. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts out the, uh, the sin that's inside of us. It purifies us. It shines light into us so we see previously hidden or ignored sin. But then it also 
shows us the way to Jesus and the gospel, which is the power of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you're so merciful, so gracious to us. You love us so deeply and dearly. And that even though we were headed towards hell like a lead weight, you've rescued us. And you now uphold us with your righteous right hand. And no one will snatch us from that righteous right hand. We thank you, Lord, for these great truths. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.